Welcome to AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get support and guidance through the chaos of parenting. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. I hope you're having a great day. Today, I want to talk to you about something that a listener actually emailed me about and said, you know, Natasha, you've talked about meltdowns and how to handle that, but could you specifically talk about when anxious kids become more oppositional defiant? And I thought, you know, that's actually probably a really good podcast to do because in my podcast, when I talked about meltdowns and poor behavior, which was episode number, I know I wrote it down somewhere, episode 23. So actually it wasn't really that long ago, considering this is episode 30, but I do have some different kind of things to talk about related to that. So I do appreciate her email. If you guys ever have topics that you feel like I haven't touched or I haven't gone into more thoroughly, definitely send me an email or go to my website, anxioustoddlers.com and hit the contact button and get in touch. I'm very accessible and I do love to hear people who want me to do a different topic or to expand because that's the whole purpose of this. So this is actually a pretty good topic for today. I didn't do this on purpose, but well, I'll tell you about it in a minute when I go through what I'm about to say. (laughs) So to, well, no, okay. I'll, I'll wait and I'll use this example when I get a little bit more into it. So I'm going to talk to you about one, why anxiety looks like oppositional defiance and two, kind of how it impacts kids in school and the school environment. And then in the second half of this podcast, I'm going to be talking to you about what you can do to help your child at home which is going to sound very counterintuitive. It's also going to overlap a little bit with the um, other episode, with episode 23. So I will definitely leave a link in the show notes if you're like, wait, what episode was that? I didn't see that one because I have a lot of episodes now. And then I'm going to also talk to you about how to deal with the school. So that's a lot. And hopefully I can bring it all together so that you're not sitting here forever. So I want to talk to you first about why anxiety doesn't always look like anxiety. I think there's this thought out there that anxiety looks like anxiety, which I mean, obviously is probably a pretty understandable thought, but when people think of anxiety, they think, you know, that this wilted flower is going to be like really nervous and it's going to be articulate about their fears and they're going to be withdrawn we have all these preconceived ideas of what anxiety should look like. And so when we see an angry child or an oppositional child, we don't equate that with anxiety and we move rather quickly into typical parenting and typical discipline, which for oppositional defiance disorder, ODD, that's really necessary. And having very, very defined boundaries and strict rules and a a very tight cause and effect, you do this, there's a consequence, is helpful for ODD, in my opinion, as a therapist, but it's not helpful if the anxiety is what's driving the oppositional defiance. And kids who are anxious and are oppositionally defiant don't have ODD. And I see a huge amount of kids that come into my practice who the parents will say, you know, they have ODD 
which is oppositional defiance disorder. I'm not going to say that anymore. You're going to know what I'm saying when I'm saying ODD. And, and for a small percentage of them, I will start working with them and they don't have ODD. They have anxiety. It's just manifesting in a very oppositionally defiant, ugly sort of way. And that's important to differentiate because just like my podcast episode on differentiating anxiety and ADHD, which was episode, you know what I just realized? Cause I pressed pause and I went to go look at what episode I was talking about because that's what I do. And I say episode, I don't know my episodes, but I actually didn't do an episode on that. Uh, maybe that will be a good podcast in the future. I did talk about like unrealistic expectations placed on kids with ADHD in episode eight, but I did write this whole article about how, how anxiety is often misdiagnosed as ADHD. There's an article about that, but I do find that I have people who only listen to my podcast. I have people who only read my articles and I have people who only watch my YouTube channel. And I don't write articles anymore because I'm very, very, very busy working on this online OCD class to teach parents how to help their children with OCD which I really want to get done in the next few weeks. Now that my kids are back at school, it's like my main goal. And I'm so frustrated that I'm such a perfectionist and I'm like working really hard at making it perfect. And I just need to keep moving. And I'm one of those people, I'm going to go on a tangent that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about, but I'm one of those people who like, I have to have everything that needs to get done, done before I can do the thing that I actually like to do, which I know this is going to sound really weird, but I really love making online parenting classes. I don't know why, but it's really fun for me. And this particular class is really fun for me because I found kind of a new way of teaching. I like to make videos and I like to intertwine like pictures and art because I really want, I feel like my strength, if I was to like toot my own horn here, I feel like my strength is to take rather complicated ideas or even not even complicated, but just ideas in general, and then make them very simplistic for parents to understand. Because I feel like therapy talk and all that jargon, like, I feel like that's why I work with kids because I can explain things in a very simplistic way. And I don't feel like things need to be complicated. So I feel like that's kind of like, that's my style. Like I'm very simple and I can take maybe a somewhat complicated idea or concept. And I can just make it simple and direct because kids get it that way. And I think parents get it that way too. Like we don't have to be like all convoluted and use fancy words and fancy theories in order to help our kids. So anyway, I'm having fun with my parenting class and I don't even know why I'm on this tangent anymore. I, I actually forgot because <laughs> I have like no memory. Um, yeah. So I've been doing everything else but my class because I keep saying, well, no, I have to, I have to do my podcast episode and I have to do my YouTube channel episode and I'm not writing. I think that was my whole point. And I don't even know why I was saying that, but yeah, that's how quick my memory goes. It's like, phew, don't even know what I'm talking about. I could probably rewind this and figure out, wait, why am I on this tangent? But I'm not going to. My whole point is that maybe one day I'll do a podcast episode on how anxiety is misdiagnosed as ADHD and ODD is sometimes, um, anxious kids are sometimes diagnosed with ODD when really it's anxiety. And that's unfortunate because how you treat it is completely different for both. So, and especially with ODD, I mean, it's both sad, but for ODD, I really, really get 
sad for those kids because they are completely misunderstood. And the way I interact with a child who has ODD and the way I interact therapeutically with a child with ODD is completely different than how I interact with a child who has anxiety, who is oppositionally defiant. Okay, I'm belaboring the point, but you get what I mean. So for starters, let's talk about why. So why would you take one child who acts in maybe what you would call a typical way when they have anxiety, you know, maybe it manifests physically. These are the typical things, right? And if you listen to my podcast, you should hopefully know as my little, not little, as my student, you know, how this works, that maybe their stomach hurts or they are refusing to go to school or they're tearful and they're saying they're nervous. They're very expressive but not every kid with anxiety looks that way. And not every kid looks that way for different reasons. So they might look oppositional, but I break it down for different reasons because like everything else, nothing is clear cut. And so why would a child who's anxious look just completely difficult and oppositionally defiant? A very ugly type of behavior, a behavior that's not warm and fuzzy, does not elicit any kind of warm response from you, It normally gets you to scream, get frustrated, be punitive. That is the reaction that oppositionally defiant kids trigger in most parents. So why would a kid do that if they're going to get maybe a better reaction, a more empathetic reaction, if they just were like that typical anxious kid? Okay, well, let's go into it. I'm going to break it down into, let's see how many, one, two, three, four, five, six. So I came up with six different reasons why... I feel like kids go to the oppositional defiant. Um, I don't know what I was actually about to say. <laughs> Why kids become oppositionally defiant instead of anxious. Not like it's a calculated move. It's not like kids plot and plan late at night. Hmm, I'm going to be anxious tomorrow. So I think I'm going to just choose to rather be oppositionally defiant. That sounds like a better idea. No, I mean, obviously kids don't do that. Just like you and I don't plan on yelling or getting frustrated with our kids, but sometimes we do. So the first reason I have come across in my therapy practice is pride. Kids, and I'm, I'm going to have to say, not that I like to stereotype or pigeonhole, but I see a disproportionately larger amount of boys who tend to go the oppositionally defiant route than girls. However, I have worked with plenty of girls in my practice who are more oppositionally defiant than anxious, but are still dealing with anxiety and really not ODD. You can be oppositionally defiant and not have ODD. You know, that's an ugly disorder and it's, it's unfortunate and it's a difficult one to treat, but it's not anxiety. And you could have both. It's not like one is, you know, it's not like they're mutually exclusive, but I don't typically see them together because an anxious personality is not often the same as the ODD personality, but that's for a different podcast. And I'm not even going to do that podcast. So it's for a no podcast. So let's move on. So the first one is pride. I think a lot of kids, um, especially boys because of our society about, you know, not being weak and whatever, influences they're getting, maybe not from you, but just societally, it's not okay to be anxious. It's okay to be angry. And so sometimes they get angry with themselves because they're so frustrated that they can't do something or that they're afraid of something. So there's a pride factor. So I would say that's the first reason is it's a pride issue. 
Now, these are in no particular order, and so your child could have a few of these. They can have just one of these. Some of them don't go together, and I'm saying that because the next one is OCD. And I, I, well, you can have a pride issue and you can have OCD. And so you can have multiple categories of what I'm about to talk about. But let me explain the OCD one because they all do look very different. In episode 23, I did talk about like OCD meltdowns and how just in general, you build up just this hostility and anger that everybody's kind of triggering you to do compulsions and they're doing things that they don't maybe don't, they don't realize that are uh, upsetting or they're violating some OCD rule. And so then you eventually explode, but that's different than a child that's being oppositionally defiant. Like you say, don't do that. And they do it. And you're like, so I'm going to give you two examples about how OCD can play into that. And then, um, I was actually going to just do examples at the end, but I'm going to just in, I'm going to do this example here as we're talking about it. So maybe it'd be good to just sprinkle examples as we're going. I don't know. We'll wing it and we'll see how it goes. So today, this is what I was going to say in the in the introduction is the Great American Eclipse. <laughs> what a grand name for a grand thing. So today is the Great American Eclipse and my son who has mainly generalized anxiety disorder, but he's only seven. He show, He's the only really one out of all of my children that are showing OCD signs and symptoms. And with his OCD, if you tell him he can't do something, he has a compulsion to do it. And it took me a really long time to realize that he has that. So if you tell him in clear terms not to do something, he will feel, his OCD will make him feel like he has to do it. And he just has to get over the anxiety. And so a lot of times, if it's not like a safety or a life-threatening thing, he will do it. I'll give you a couple of examples. So one time when I really wasn't understanding this about him, we do three strikes at my house, which I kind of talk about in, well, actually I do talk about in episode 21 about how to discipline anxious kids. So he was going to sleep and I was, he was talking, he talks nonstop, which is kind of an anxiety thing. He just, I can't even describe it and I won't talk about it here, but he, so he's talking and I'm saying, so he's upstairs and I'm downstairs. We kind of have an open floor plan. So I can hear him very clearly on the couch and he can hear me and he's talking. And, and I said, you need to stop talking. And he continues to talk, but, but I have to tell you this one more thing. You know how it goes if you have kids like that. And so finally I said, if you talk again, you're getting strike one. Well, because I didn't realize that he had this OCD issue. When I drew that line in the sand, his OCD was like, you have to talk again. So he did and he got strike one. And then I said, if you talk, if I hear one more sound out of your mouth, right? Drawing the the line in the sand again, you're getting strike two. And so he was like, I have to say something. And so I'll cut a long story short. He went into like a third set. So I do them in sets. If you listen to that episode and it's very effective normally for just typical parenting. And it's normally pretty effective with him too, but not when I, I'm setting a very clear no. Well, that didn't really make sense. But when I'm like 
drawing a line in the sand and I'm saying, if you do that again, and it's like a very specific behavior, I find that is when it triggers his OCD. So it got ugly and he, he like was in his like third or fourth set. And finally I was like, okay, obviously this is not working. I'm doing something wrong. And that would look very oppositional defiant. In fact, I think to my husband, he's like, what is wrong with him? Why won't he listen? And he lost his iPad and all these privileges for days. And well, for a day, because I really only believe in like a 24 hour period typically, but, and he still remembers that his little anxious mind will be like, remember that time when you struck me out and I was in like the third set. That was so mean. So it was completely ineffective and it wasn't his fault. I was triggering his OCD and it looked very purposeful and very oppositional. Another time with him was he was like poking his sister or he was like messing with her. And I inadvertently set a very specific limit with him. And I said, if you touch her again at all, you're going to lose your iPad for 24 hours. So what I did again was I set a very specific no-no and his OCD was like, you need to touch her again. So I look and I see him inching his way very, very gently with his little pointy finger towards his sister and he lightly touched her. And so at the time, I'm going to be totally honest, I reacted in a typical mom way because I was like, why would you do that? And also to be fair to myself, even if I knew it was his anxiety at that point, I probably would have disciplined it just because I need to be consistent with myself. But looking back at it, I would have framed it. I would have said it in a different way that wouldn't have triggered his OCD. But that's really confusing. And even as a therapist, I don't always think on my toes like that. And so I said, why would you touch your sister when I just told you not to do it? And he said, well, I did it very lightly. I mean, you could barely see it. And I said, but why would you do it at all? I told you not to do it. And he said, I just needed to do it one more time. So I have realized with my son that he's got that type of OCD issue. So today is the eclipse and his school has been talking a lot because he goes to school already. They've already started school in Arizona about not looking at the sun because I guess they're worried about liability. I don't know. Maybe they didn't invest in glasses. I have no idea, but there had been a lot of discussion about it and we got a lot of emails about it. My, my daughter who's in kindergarten, you know, her kindergarten teacher emailed everybody and was like, don't worry, your children aren't going to be outside during that time. And then my son's class, she emailed everybody and said, we are going to be going outside. We're going to PE at the time that the eclipse is happening. And we're going to have all the kids look down. So they weren't really doing any sciencey thing that I know of where they were actually taking the kids outside. And my oldest daughter who's in eighth grade you know, she was texting me all day, showing me like these beautiful images through a telescope. And they took the eighth graders outside and they talked about it. So it's been a discussion, but we talked about it. It's all over the news and he's going to school. So I talked to them about it yesterday, Sunday, and he was just stuck on it. So what would happen if I did look at the sun? And I said, well, you know, just don't don't look directly at the sun. Cause I don't think they're giving him glasses. And His OCD was kicking in, but what if I do? What if I just happen to look at it? What if I look up? What if I don't look at the ground, but I don't, I don't look at the sky, but I look, you know, up, but not completely up. Would that burn my eyes? 
And if I burn my eyes, like how long would they be burned? And if I did burn them, what would that feel like? It went on and on and on because he has this thing where he has to do the opposite of what he's told in very specific terms. It's not like go get your shoes on. And then he's like, Oh, I have to not get my shoes on. It's not like that. It's when you specifically say like, don't touch your sister again, or if you move another inch, or if you say another word, it's that kind of stuff. And that's not just my son. That's why I'm talking about it because it might be your kid too. You might be like, Oh my gosh, my kid does that. And it might be because of that. Some kids just like to push limits. So I'm not saying that some kids just are opposite, you know, some kids are oppositionally defiant. You know, you say black, they say white, you say, go here, they go there. And they're purely oppositional. And even, you know, typical kids or anxious kids have those components. So pride, OCD, the third one is they're just not articulate. And so they don't know how to express their anxiety. They can't form it into words. And so it comes out into, it comes out in rage. The fourth one is they have no coping mechanisms. And so they don't know how to tell you about their anxiety. They don't know how to articulate it and they don't know how to deal with it. And so they, they just explode and they just become oppositional when they're faced with their anxiety or something that is triggering their anxiety. They're just like, no, I'm not going to do it. The fifth one is they just have a lot of anxiety that's pent up throughout the day. So they come home and they are filled to the brim with stress and cortisol and all those nasty chemicals when you are anxious and you're not dealing with it. And you just say, go to your homework and they explode because they were a ticking time bomb anyway. And that has a little bit more to do with the meltdowns I talked about in episode 23, but it also will bleed into just being oppositionally defiant because you don't want to do anything. You're in a bad mood and you're difficult. The last one that I think is important to mention is that for some kids being oppositionally defiant is effective. And so if they don't want to do something because of their anxiety and they get aggressive, they get hostile, maybe they get violent, they throw and they get into a rage and you're maybe a single mom or your husband's not around or both of you just don't like to deal with a child who's raging. It's just too difficult you might give in because you're like, you know what? I just can't deal with this. And so if they're going to rage because they don't want to go to school and you're just like, I just can't deal with this. Let's he's too big or it's just exhausting. And that's understandable. I understand. I mean, oppositionally defiant behavior is so ugly and so exhausting. So I totally understand that. But unfortunately it can reinforce the behavior And then they do it more often and it becomes kind of a thing where it may not have if early on they could rage, they can get aggressive and they still have to do what they need to do. And that's the slippery slope. And we talk about that in a lot of my podcasts, whether to push, whether not to push. And we talk about that a lot in my private Facebook group as well. We have a lot of discussion of like, when should you push them and when should you not, you know, when are you coddling and when are you empowering? And how do you find the balance? Because you do have to find the balance. So I'll talk a little bit more about some examples of what that looks like at home and what that looks like at school. So another example with my son that I didn't realize until in the middle of what was happening, I actually 
this is actually a better story because I realized what I was doing halfway through. So he was, I think, I can't remember if I told this story before. I may not have, but he has, I'm pretty sure I actually told this story, so I'll keep it brief. But he has a chore, a very small chore where he has to take out the little trash. I might've talked about this in episode 23. So he has to go around and get the trash bags from all the small little trash in the house. That's his like one chore or it was his one chore. And he was having a cow about it. He was like, I'm not going to do it. And he seemed very oppositional. And I was about to get my mommy like boot campish voice on and be like, you're going to do it. Or are you going to get a strike? And then I stopped and I said, well, what's the worst part about taking the trash out? And then he told me that he's afraid of the dark and it was all fear related. And so his be- I know I told this story before because it's sounding very familiar, like me speaking it out loud. So it seemed very, very oppositional, but it wasn't. It was fear-based. It just, it was coming out as oppositional. And then once I dealt with the fear and we, you know, figured a way for him to feel safe, the opposition around that chore went away. So let me give you another example. Um, I have worked with kids in my practice who, who have OCD and they don't want to take the trash out or they don't want to do the dishes because of contamination and they won't tell their parents because a lot of kids I work with are very, very embarrassed and private about their OCD, uh, triggers. And so they will just get really aggressive and really out of control when you say, go take the trash out or you didn't do the dishes. And the parents will be like, he is so oppositionally defiant. And then when I work with the child, I'll say, well, what's the worst part about taking the trash? Because a lot of times they're coming to me because of the oppositional defiance and poor behavior and not OCD. And when I hear an atypical answer, which is something like the trash, it's really gross or it's all over my hands. And, you know, I feel like I can't wash the grossness off of them. Then I realize I'm not dealing with the typical problem because a child with oppositional defiance might say, well, it's just boring, you know, and you know, I don't like it. I'd rather be watching TV. Now, the thing you have to watch out for is that kids will give you those typical answers first and you have to keep digging. And then when you dig and there's still nothing left, then that's your answer. Because a lot of times I will have kids who will give a very typical answer at first. For instance, I had someone in my office the other day and they didn't want to take a shower. And when we were talking about that and we're saying, well, what's the worst thing about taking a shower? You know, it's boring, but when you dig deeper, it's, you know, I'm afraid of bugs and I'm afraid of snakes and, and those are not typical answers. And so then you're like, okay, well, the first answer was typical, but luckily we kept digging to find that there were other answers behind that as well. And that's what you want to do with your kids. You want to keep digging just to make sure you're not missing any kind of anxiety theme. Other things that can cause oppositional behavior are being almost done with something and you're rushing them and they have this anxiety that they have to complete things from the beginning to end. And so you tell them, you know, it's time to take a bath or whatever, and they're not done with finishing their Legos or they can't handle losing at a video game, but to the level because they're perfectionistic. And so they're throwing the video game controller and they're freaking out and they're having a major, major explosion or they are a perfectionist and they can't handle the fact that they don't know all the answers to their homework. And so when you say it's time to do your homework, they are saying no. And they're, you know, 
throwing chairs around and they're getting aggressive. Whenever I think of oppositional defiance, I kind of always think of really, really aggressive, but that's probably part of, because I used to work in like a lockdown treatment center. So whenever I think of oppositional defiance, I think of it really extreme, but you probably don't. You might be like, no, gosh, throwing chairs, Natasha, what are you talking about? But that's probably from my work in that treatment center. But a child who doesn't want to do their homework, not because it's boring and they'd rather be playing, although your child with anxiety might give you those answers. A lot of times, if you know your child has perfectionism issues, then sometimes that's what's behind that. This also bleeds into school, unfortunately, because schools don't often understand anxiety at all. And especially when it looks like oppositional defiance, they are just going to throw their hands up a lot of schools and say, your child is difficult. And I'll give you an example. I once worked with a girl who came into my practice because she was in kindergarten and she was diagnosed with ODD, I think just because the school said she was oppositionally defiant and her mom looked it up and said, yeah, I think she has ODD. I met with a little girl and one of their big issues was what um, an incident that happened where I'm going to tell you from her perspective. So from, from her five-year-old perspective, she was in kindergarten They were done with lunch and she forgot her water bottle. And so they were already in class and she was worried she was going to get in trouble with her parent. So she just got up because she's five, you know, and left the class, ran out of the class. Teacher did not notice and then ran to the cafeteria. But then when the girl got to the cafeteria and got her water bottle, she realized that she was going to get in trouble because there was nobody in the cafeteria. It was empty. And I don't know. She just had this like awareness. Oh yeah, I guess I probably shouldn't have left my class. And so a teacher saw her and was coming towards her and was like, where, where are you supposed to be young lady? And so she's afraid now she's going to get in trouble. So she bolts out of the cafeteria and she starts running onto the playground. And so now, you know, two staff see her. And so they, they come running out towards her. And now she's really afraid because they're like chasing her. And now she thinks she's in really big trouble. And so she starts running for the fence and she's going to try to climb over the fence because she's in fight or flight. And she needs to get out of there. What they saw in their eyes was a girl that just left class for no reason, didn't want to do her work, and then went to the cafeteria because she was just roaming around the school, thought she was going to get in trouble when she saw teachers. So she just left and then wanted to go AWOL. You know, she's five and she doesn't, she wanted to skip school. So she was headed over the fence. I mean, those are two very different stories, right? So... That's a real, to me, that's a really good example of how the school might see behavior versus how it really is. Obviously her version of events were more accurate because it's her little brain and that's what was going on in her little brain. Once they realized that and the mom realized that and we, I worked with them to understand her and understand how she goes into fight or flight a lot quicker than anything else. You know, she doesn't say she's nervous. She doesn't say she's worried. She just runs. They started to understand her. She started to do much, much better. So there are other kids I work with who crumple up their papers, who hide under desks um, when peers touch them, you know, all sorts of what would appear as negative behavior that are really triggered by anxiety. So gosh, I'm sorry. That was a really long part one, but up next, I'm going to talk to you about how to help these kids at home and how to help them at school. Stay tuned. That's what's up next. 
were listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. For more parenting support, check out Natasha's parenting e-courses on a variety of topics. Each parenting e-course includes a series of teaching videos that can be watched at your own pace. For more information, visit anxioustoddlers.com forward slash parenting hyphen videos. Okay, welcome back. So there is no easy answer just to kind of put that out there right from the get go about how to help oppositionally defiant kids, because that's a really hard behavior to help. But I'm going to give you some places to start. For starters, always, it's good to get a therapist to help you. And if you're not sure if this is ODD or anxiety or both, go to a professional in your community, have your child assessed, because that obviously is not what this episode is about. But I find that in general, if your child already has anxiety and you know your child has anxiety, or you suspect that this oppositional defiance isn't coming from a place of, um, I hate authority and I want to say no to any authority figure, and you think it's maybe coming more from an anxious place, try to get to the root of the problem. That's really, and I know that seems like a very simplistic suggestion, but honestly, it helps. So instead of addressing my child's huge fit about taking the trash out in the, like, the small little trash cans, we talked about it, and I gave him tools on how to handle the dark And he doesn't have a problem now taking the small trash can out. I mean, sometimes he might complain because he's a kid, but not like that oppositional defiance sort of way. For the child that was refusing to take out the trash, we talked about it and we started doing exposure therapy and I started bringing trash into my therapy office when I saw him and I made him touch lots of gross things with his approval And he's not afraid of touching trash anymore. And so now he sees taking the trash out is not a chore, but as an exposure exercise or what I call in my therapy practice challenges. And so he knows that it's a challenge when he gets to do it and it's good for his OCD. So finding the root is really helpful because then you're going to help reframe it. Once your child's in full-blown aggression and they're like a tornado, you really can't do much in that moment. But I do say, well, we'll get to that in a minute. So let me just finish this thought. So pay attention to, I'm like talking like you're interrupting me. (laughs) I'm interrupting myself. It's just me and the cat in the wall again. So pay attention to patterns. If you're not sure why they're raging, then you want to look at what happened right before they exploded or what, what are they constantly refusing? I see patterns. Sometimes I think I see patterns a lot quicker than parents do when obviously it's not my own kids because it seems really obvious. I'll be like, well, all of that had to do with something gross. Like all of that had to do with trash or that all seems to be homework related. Look at patterns and then look at your child's anxiety themes and see if you can see some sort of trigger. The other thing, which is the thing I was going to say, but I wanted to get the pattern thing out first is pause the discipline because if it's anxiety based, All your talk about discipline is going to escalate them. And so it is good to not talk about discipline when they're in the throes of this just imploding kind of behavior, or maybe not imploding, but exploding, and they're doing it externally and they're attacking everybody. Don't talk about discipline. Wait until they calm down, have them go to a calm down place. And that might take a little convincing. 
you know, a lot of times I think I've talked about this with my child. I won't make it a punitive thing. I won't be like, go to your room until you calm down. I will speak softly and I will say, you're not okay right now. I think what you need to do is go to my room and I give him my iPad because I feel like it does definitely, well, it's his iPad. I'll be honest. We all have iPads in my house. We're very iPad oriented. And I'll say, just relax. And then let me know when you're calm and we will talk about it. And so instead of addressing the behavior, when he's calm, I'll go back in and I'll address the anxiety. So instead of going in there and saying, okay, we all have chores. And so I don't pick up right where I left off and say, we all have chores and you have to do your part. I realize that that's not the problem. So why am I going to address that? Or we all have homework to do. So, you know, you need to just do your homework. Everyone's doing their job. I'll say something like, you know, my favorite thing to say is what's the worst thing about blah, blah, blah. I love that. It does work. I'm sorry, but it does. So I'll say, what's the worst thing about taking the trash out? It's boring. Besides that. Okay. I know taking the trash out is boring. What else is the worst thing about it? Well, it's dark in your room. There it is. A a non-anxious child is not going to give you an anxious response. Kids are not that calculated. They are not that savvy to know what would be an anxious response. Yeah. They might want to manipulate you for sure. I'm not saying that but they're not going to give you an anxious response if they're not anxious. They just don't know what that would be, what that would be or what it would sound like. If they already have anxiety, maybe they would say something like that because they know what you would think. So you have to just use your parent gut. And then you want to dig until you feel like you got to the core. And then you want to talk about how they could have handled that in a better way. And not like you could have told me, you know, that you don't like taking the trash out. No, you want to talk about how can they address the anxiety? And so it might be a conversation of saying, okay, well, if you had said to me, mom, you know, it's really dark in your room and I'm fine doing the trash, but I don't like going in dark rooms. And I'm afraid that someone's going to come out and startle me if somebody comes into the bedroom. Then I would say, if you had said that to me in a calm way, I would have known how to handle it. And I would have said, okay, well, we can fix that problem so that you don't have to do your chore and be scared at the same time. Or if you said, Hey, the trash is really triggering my OCD and I'm worried that my hands are contaminated for the rest of the day. Then I would have been like, Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I didn't know that. Maybe we can make a fear hierarchy and we can talk about doing exposure or challenge exercises. But for now, I'm going to give you a different chore and we're going to use that more as like therapeutic. Now, if all of that sounded like total Greek to you, my class will help when I talk about OCD and how to do these type of things at home. But I'm actually talking about ERP, exposure and response prevention. And I will talk about that more. I think I've done some episodes on what ERP is. I know I did a YouTube video. So if you're interested, you can check out my YouTube video. Just look for ERP. And that's what all that is about. So the other thing that I suggest is kids who tend to have oppositionally defiant behavior based on anxiety do much better when they earn privileges for not raging and not being oppositional. Instead of being punitive, which for anxious kids tends to exasperate the problem and makes it worse, it's better for them to earn privileges for keeping it together, for telling you what is bothering them, for staying calm and not exploding. So I know some parents philosophically feel like they shouldn't, you know, have their kids earn privileges for positive behavior. And so it's up to you and your family. I'm totally supportive of what people want to do in their own home. I think it's effective. So 
sometimes, you know, I'll suggest that with the families I work with, and I do see that they make a lot more progress. So food for thought for you. The last thing I want to just touch on before we end, so this isn't like a full hour, is how to deal with the school. So it's really important that if you feel like it's anxiety and it's oozing into your child's school environment in a really bad, ugly sort of way, you want to very quickly, well, not like literally quickly, but don't wait and see. It's so much better to protect your child. So if you are in the United States, because I know I have a lot of listeners that are not in this country, so I can't really speak for you guys on this component. I will get to a part that you can do, but for this, I don't know how it works in other countries, but you want to get a 504 plan. So a 504 plan is kind of like an IEP. And if you're like, okay, Natasha, I don't even know what an IEP is. What are you talking about? An IEP is an individual education plan, IEP. And normally, well, I don't want to say normally, but often it's given for kids for some developmental issues, some academic struggles. But you can get a 504 plan, which addresses some emotional and mental health issues, and they can make accommodations based on that. So you want to get documentation and it really depends on your child's school. There are some schools that I work with. We actually had a conversation about this in my private Facebook group, which if you're not a member, you should join. It's called AT Parenting Kids with Anxiety and OCD. And you can look for it on Facebook. There's a link in the show notes, or you can look on my website. Got an easy link at the very bottom of my site. But we were talking about what's the difference between IEP and 504 plan. And we were also talking about how do you get one? And every school is different. For some schools, they are really easy to work with. You just put it in writing and they will develop one. Other schools are a little bit more um, difficult and they want documentation. And sometimes just a note from your therapist will do, but other times they want documentation from an MD. And so most therapists are not MDs because they're normally just therapists or counselors and their degree is not they're not, unless you're seeing a developmental pediatrician, they're still not doing therapy though. So sometimes the school's going to make you go to an MD to get that documentation. I don't know. You're going to have to ask your school. But once you do that, you, you put in their 504 plan that this is how they act when they're anxious and it, you can put all their oppositionally defiant behaviors and how the school is supposed to react and they can develop some accommodations. I have kids that I work with where they have accommodations where when they escalate, they're allowed to go outside of the room and sit. I have a girl that has um, like a phobia of seeing somebody throw up and they have a 504 plan in place. And so if she sees that or is triggered, she is allowed to just run out of the room and sit outside or go to the library in the past, she didn't have a 504 plan. And so that behavior would be seen as oppositional. If she just got up and ran out of the class, that's not okay. She would get in trouble. And so I advise the family, get a 504 plan in place. Even if you feel like she's not going to need it, let's have it in place so that she's protected. So protect your kids. The last thing is if you understand your child's behavior, or if your therapist understands your child's behavior, then explain that to the school. I had a mom recently who has a very young child in kindergarten with behavior that could look very oppositional. And she did an amazing job at breaking down exactly why her child was acting that way. And so the teacher's version was very oppositionally defiant. And her version was beautifully explained as far as what was triggering her child at every single moment. It was very impressive and it had an impact on the school. 
So if you can do that, or even I've written as a child therapist, I've had parents say to me, I don't understand his behavior. Could you write a note to the school and explain what you would recommend or what that behavior actually means? And I've done that. And so if you have a therapist that's very agreeable, that can help too. So all of that is some ways to help. And I hope that was, um, I hope that was eye-opening for some of you who have oppositionally defiant, anxious kids where you can at least understand them a little bit better and maybe know how to treat them in a different way and maybe even talk to the school. Or maybe it's just an introduction to the idea of, huh, you know what? Maybe this oppositionally defiant behavior isn't really ODD or oppositionally defiant in the classic way that I was looking at it. So stop reading all the ODD stuff and read more about the anxiety stuff because that's what's underneath that. And that's how you're actually going to help your child if it's anxiety. So I hope you're enjoying my podcast. If you are, this is about the time where I tell you that if you're listening on iTunes, iTunes has ratings and it does really help mainly my ego. (laughs) If you click on a star when you're listening to this. So you, you know, those stars that are right under the title of the podcast, you can click on that. And I think you can, I don't even know. And if you are in a hurry, just click on the star and click on how many stars you think I should get. And if you are feeling like a, in a very giving mood, you can leave a comment and I really appreciate it. It always makes me feel inspired. It makes me feel like I'm making a difference. So it's a great way to give back. If you're having a particular problem, like I said before, feel free to contact me. Make sure that you write something like podcast idea or something in the email so I know that that's what you're looking for. Otherwise, I'll kind of be like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this. So let me know. And I hope that you're having a wonderful day, a wonderful week, and I hope that you find the sparkle in everything you do. I'll talk to you next Tuesday. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to AT Parenting Survival Podcast. For more tips and parenting support, visit anxioustoddlers.com.